when people are sick, as I always keep saying, the disconnect between mental health and physical health is that like when people go in to have a heart issue or whatever, diabetes, whatever, you know, there's always the cards, the flowers, the stuff they're given. But when people are into a mental health facility, it's like, you know, we don't talk about that. We put it in the closet and that's where the whole stigma needs to be eradicated. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I'm your host, Todd Rennebaum. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I, I hope you like what you hear and you stick around. Um, it seems as though lots of people are, are getting lots of things from the podcast, which is amazing. Tons and tons of incredible guests that are open and vulnerable and speak about their mental illnesses and mental health issues and lots of people are reaching out to me relating and thanking the guests through me uh, for for sharing and for making them not feel so alone and normalizing mental health and mental illnesses and getting rid of the stigma speaking of getting rid of a stigma my guest this week is Glenn Royal, and he is uh, a massive mental health advocate, international award winner, in fact. He's received the 2022 Lionel Aldridge Champions Award from the National Alliance on Mental Illness in the U.S. He's, I believe, the only Canadian to ever have won that award. He's also won the 2021 Newfoundland Human Rights Award Champion for Mental Health from the Government of Newfoundland and Labrador's Human Rights Commission. So he's kind of a, he's a big deal. People know him and he's, I've said this before already talking about him. He, he's got a really great accent from Newfoundland. See if you can, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, subtle. See if you can hear it. But before we hear from Glenn, I like to talk about a few guests that are coming up in the coming weeks. Uh, next week, I'm speaking with Emmanuel Flores and he is Mexican born and he lives in Montreal now with his family. He's a new author, and his book, Men Get Raped, is coming out right away. Uh, he's also an advocate, and uh, mostly for men's mental health. And I believe he's part of a group called Misguided Masculinity. Super nice guy. We met a few times on Instagram and done a few collaborations on there. Speaking of Instagram, follow me on Instagram so that you can check out my lives. I'm doing a live every week with a guest on there as well. On Sunday, March 26th, I'm doing an Instagram Live with Desiree Ford, and you might remember her from episode 70. Uh, I spoke with her about surviving a car crash and her recovery with, with a brain injury. She still has a brain injury, but we... So anyway, we're, we're going to catch up and talk some, I don't know, talk about mental health and about our lives. Uh, and the number one after that is April 3rd. Uh, I speak with a fella named Tim, and he's a former addict and alcoholic and now he's a fitness guy and so we're gonna talk about that i i never actually talked with tim before so that'll be fun and that's on instagram lives follow me on instagram bunny hugs podcast so they can check those out usually a couple days before the lives and the days of i i post the time because it, it changes every time it depends on the guest and what time zone they're in and stuff. So um, it's always changing, but you can follow me on Instagram and find the posts. But anyway, this week, Glenn Royal, international award-winning mental health advocate. Uh, so without further ado, I give you Glenn Royal. And I know it's kind of timely too, Todd, because I... Uh 
was in touch with one of my, con my uh, contacts at the uh, Canadian Psychological Association. They put out a press for now before Trudeau's meeting with the premiers on Tuesday, talking about how, you know, mental health and addictions have been the ugly stepchild of the healthcare system for a long time. And talking about the 5 billion mental health transfers now, not just the canned health transfers, but so, you know, like, you know, it's time for Trudeau and them to uh, put something on this at all. Because, I mean, if this pandemic hasn't washed out all the ills of inequities in society, well, you're never going to get another wake up call at all. I mean, this is the time to make change or go home and let some else, you know, make crack at it. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'll vote for you if you run for prime premier or prime minister. I mean, after last week dealing with some matters, I'm more than more than ever now potentially uh, looking at both avenues to take my avenue into politics, either provincially or nationally. Because the other thing too, I'll, I'll share with you, uh, Back in 2012, at the time, I wrote former President Barack Obama a letter. 18 months later, in July 2024, I actually got a letter from uh, President Obama when he was still in office. I don't think there's very few Newfoundlanders, let alone Canadians, has a letter uh, from uh, 1600 Pennsylvania, a presidential seat in the White House on it. So the girlfriend at the time was saying to me, when they got something, what's 1600? I said, that's the White House there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry, what, well, was, what, what year was that? 2014? Uh, 2012, uh, uh, about uh, 10, 10, 11 years ago, I wrote it. Oh, and, okay. uh, and then I received it uh, two, you're 18 months after sort of thing at all, you know. So he really appreciated the work I'm doing in, in mental health advocacy. And he said our, our values are aligned sort of thing. So hmm. if, if I was an American, I'm not saying get into that whole game, but uh, I would run for president down here because that, that whole place is imploding <laughs> big time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other ball of wax, yeah. That's American right. politics. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you get into uh, uh, mental health advocating, and and uh, like what what sparked that interest? Uh, it's kind of Todd is that uh, I had my own personal lived experience with mental health. I've uh, dealt with uh, anxiety from I think a very young age, uh, along with some uh, compulsive disorder. It wasn't officially diagnosed until I was about fifteen. And then about 15 years ago, I went through an event that I developed post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, I have all those beautiful uh, <laughs> things around me. And uh, But I think as growing up, uh, I was always a very shy and quiet child and, uh, you know, wouldn't say boo to anybody sort of thing. And uh, my grandmother who raised me for the first few years of my life, when my mother went back to work, I had a closer bond with my grandmother than my mother. And even though I had challenges growing up, she always said Glenn would come to his fruition and there's no uh, more results showing the day of the awards, the accolades, the boards, the committees that I sit on and, uh, and the leadership capacity. So uh, that's kind of where uh, this all is, is personal. Plus I've had family and friends around me that had their own and um, you know, the squeaky wheel kind of gets the grease and I kind of got a bit of a voice. So I make sure I use it for maximum capacity, not just for myself. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I, I was doing some research on you, of course, and, uh, I, I, I stopped reading the amount of boards you were on because <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's pretty impressive. I don't know how you find the time or energy, BD. I mean, one, an hour meeting a week for me is like torture. I couldn't imagine the amount of meetings you have for, for all these boards you're on. Yeah, thank you, Todd, for that. Those kind, generous words. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I, I think because it's such a passion of mine, I, I make it uh, dedicated. Even though I try to do that work-life balance, and even to uh, a partner today, like she says, it's like, how do you keep, you know, your own mental health from crapping out? And I just keep saying, is that uh, 
I do my best at all because it needs to be addressed because um, if it isn't, it's going to become a bigger issue. And, and as I've said in many interviews prior to Todd, is that I'm fearful for the young generation uh, after this pandemic because I don't think they have the school, the tools or the coping mechanisms that a lot of us who've had mental health for periods of time to sort of thing. So I always kind of said through this pandemic, I was kind of blessed having a bit of a mental health issue because I knew how to deal with social isolation when we all went into lockdown a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, in a lot of ways, I liked the pandemic because I was like, I get to stay home. This is amazing. <laughs> like, I'm forced. I, man, I thrived. Uh, I, you know, there, of course, there was a lot of anxiety and stuff too because of what's happening all around me. But uh, the isolating part, I didn't mind. But uh, but yeah, my my kids, uh, they're now 18 and 16, but they they went through my my son. He like grade, grade 10, 11, and 12. I mean, his whole high school career, that's when you're like most active with friends and social and stuff. And he missed out on all of it. And uh, he missed out all the, the trips and all the fun stuff. And it, I can see it's affected him. So um, I 100% agree that it can be scary for, for the younger people. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, resilience and, and like I'm also a facilitator around the Virtues Project uh, also came out of some work in psychology uh, from uh, – a husband-wife team from BC who created more than 30 years ago. And and some of the tools that I was exposed to more than 50, I wish I had it even when I was younger at all. And I think the trouble today is that technology is a great neighbor, but it's also a great disenabler. And I think kids don't know how to create stuff unless they're attached to technology. And I think that comes at the peril of their mental health versus like we all going to grow up and had to go out and, you know, play soccer or hockey or make our own fun sort of thing. And uh, that's something that, uh, you know, that resilience thing at all. And like, if they don't get the approval, it really shows how their emotions come out of whack big time sort of thing. So, and it doesn't just apply to young people, you know, there's old people <laughs> and middle-aged people in the similar thing at all, you know, but I think yeah. a lot around mental health too, Todd, is that you got to be your own self-advocate if you want anything done out of life, because the systems are set up in so much for failure at all. And it is shocking in, in one of the most, it can be one of the G7 countries that, you know, we're still lacking our our, our sister uh, nations uh, like UK and Australia, New Zealand, which puts more money into mental health. So it's uh, it's sad. But, uh, you know, when people are sick, as I always keep saying, the disconnect between mental health and physical health is that like when people go in to have a heart issue or whatever, diabetes, whatever, you know, there's always the cards, the flowers, the stuff they're given. But when people are into a mental health facility, it's like, you know, we don't talk about that. We put it in the closet. And that's where that whole stigma needs to be eradicated because as i keep saying the body the head and the mind isn't disconnected from the body sort of thing it's all a part of the same being as a human i 100 percent agree that's something i talk about too in some of my public speaking it's if 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 the people that are sick aren't willing to change the stigma and be open and talk about it and and advocate for ourselves then you can't expect people that have no idea what it's like to to change so um it, i mean that's usually the way it goes, you know, whatever kind of group you're in, you have to kind of self-advocate. Otherwise no one's going to do it for you. And therefore the stigma just keeps, keeps perpetuating. But, um, and even, even when, uh, like I've seen even a family member, uh, they lost their life to mental illness and in the obituaries, even it says, um, lost their life suddenly. It's very vague and, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Like if they passed away from cancer or diabetes or some other physical ailment, they would say, you know, send flowers to, or donations to these companies, but 
um, it, it, it's, it, it really bothers me when people still don't open up about that in their obituaries. And, and I always keep saying, like, sometimes you can see the connection, especially if it's donated to one of the mental health associations or Canadian mental health. And I always keep saying at all, you know, donate it to wherever the person, because they might have had a passion for animals or um, wilderness or outdoor or whatever sort of thing, sort of thing. And, uh, you know, like that correlation, sometimes people say, oh, well, die by suicide. And I think it just, again, you got to open up because I was a public face here oh, more than 10 years ago or about 10 years ago in the province. And I heard from CEOs right down to executive directors of community-based organizations. And they said, you were so brave to say that you were dealing with this. And I said, look, you're no better than me and I'm no better than you. And mm -hmm. uh, the more that we talk about it, because I mean, there's support groups out for all the other physical illnesses. And they're always encouraged by healthcare professionals to go and seek out support. So the same thing, doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals say, well, seek out these groups and uh, get the support because, you know, sometimes mental health can be a more disability um, challenge to people than just, you know, physical ailment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you actually got a real major award. It was uh, the humanitarian something or other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I picked up two, two big awards over the last almost two years now. Um, in, in, in December of 2021, I was given the uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Human Rights uh, champion award for mental health in the province sort of thing. Very honored by the governor of Newfoundland, uh, Premier Fury and uh, the mental, uh, Human Rights Commission. But uh, last year I received an international mental health award from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I'm the first and only Canadian to receive this award. It's the 2022 uh, Lionel Aldridge Champions Award for Mental Health. And uh, like a, a lot of people say, you know, it's time for these governments in Canada because I know either the Biden administration and the White House is potentially going to be doing something. And they're saying, especially, you know, something this this prestigious. I mean, the, the Trudeau government or the, uh, the Fury government in Newfoundland should be uh, promoting this because, again, it's not the sexy thing, but due to the fact it's the biggest public uh, health crisis we currently got going and all sort of thing. So uh, very honored, very privileged uh, to be honored. I, I don't know who nominated me at all, but... Uh, I never thought in my, my life I would ever receive that award, but I, I've always said in my exception speech, I accept this on behalf of many other advocates. Um, their names are, are equally as important to be on those awards as mine. Hmm. Well, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thank um, you very much. It was me. I nominated you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so did the president of the world give you that? Like, Whose hand did you have to shake to, to get that award? Who presented uh, it? Well, I, I mean, it, it must be of, of the good advocacy, the work, uh, the, the engagement that I've been doing over the years sort of thing at all, because like you say, it, it's only generally been designated for American citizens. So even to receive this outside of the United States, because I think I'm in the company of former other uh, well-known Americans, like I think uh, Vice President Al Gore. And uh, when the president uh, was the vice president at the time, uh, Joe Biden and his uh, first lady, and it was uh, Dr. Joe Biden, the, the second lady or at the time. So I'm, I'm in pretty good company now with all the, yeah, you yeah. know, rolling around with the senior American leadership. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I mean, did you, the person that actually handed you the award, were they some high up mucky muck? Was it like Beyonce or was it just, no, was it just mailed it was to you? <laughs> it, it, was, it was mailed to me because of the pandemic. It was a virtual thing at all, ah. so I couldn't attend it. But uh, it was the the, the president of the uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, Dan 
Gillingson Jr. I think that's his, his name sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind receiving it from uh, Queen Bee or any of those other uh, celebrity people. So maybe <laughs> maybe the next go around, uh, I'll, I'll get the, maybe Mariah Carey somebody to give me an award. Well, that's, well, see, this stupid pandemic, it even affected your uh, award ceremony. <laughs> well that's amazing yeah the congratulations on that um may, maybe i'll get one this year for absolutely no absolutely. i don't i'm just kidding i'm not on any boards or anything <laughs> i just sit in my basement and talk to guys like you <laughs> sure. well i mean you should get an award for even the work you're doing at all as somebody in in the media sector at all because if it wasn't for uh, people like you and uh, my connection or the connection through Sandy that connected me to you at all, I wouldn't be having the opportunity to speak to you at all. So, uh, you know, in, in your own right, uh, you should be receiving your own acknowledgement. Um, okay, you can just send me some money. That'll be okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, see, I'll see what the White House can send me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you, you were talking about... Uh, how Canada out of the G7 countries, we're one of the less, uh, you know, we're on the bottom of the list for, for funding for mental health. And, uh, when I started, um, doing the advocacy work, Saskatchewan, that's where I, I live, um, was on the bottom of the provinces. So I thought, well, shit, if Saskatchewan's on the bottom of the provinces for funding for mental health and Canada's on the bottom of the G7 for funding and mental health, there's probably third world countries that are getting better mental health care than people in Saskatchewan. Uh, that was a scary thought. Yeah. No, I mean, no uh, offense to third world countries, but you know. And I've made that in a number of interviews, a number of advocacy pieces. Uh, I mean, like I say, the UK, France, I think uh, New Zealand, Australia, and some of the other, maybe even Germany, and even the States, even though, you know, they don't have a public health system at all, they, they still seem to do better than Canada. And I mean, Newfoundland being one of the more poorer cousins of the Federation. I mean, we had uh, a blip for a while, but I think we've gone down <laughs> the other end now again, in terms of a, a very much a bankrupt province here at all, or very close to it. Um, you know, it's said a basic human right to access mental health care isn't accessible. And, and, and it's by so many means where, you know, people got to pay out a packet to see a psychologist or they put on the public wait list in this province and similar across the country, two plus years. And truly unacceptable. I mean, if you went in with a with a heart issue, would you be put on a waiting list for two years, or would you be asked to uh, pay two hundred dollars to have a session with the cardiologist? Mm -hmm. That's right. You yeah. know, it, it, it's just terrible, like I say, at all. And uh, knowing how that affects, you know, you know, people's living environments, um, their relationships, their work environments, their social environments, sort of thing. It's 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 a huge issue and. It's time for governments to tackle this and put it as, as I said in one of my previous interview in the problems with the OCM, uh, mental health and poverty also has the overlinkage and they need to be government's top priority in this country at least. So you do feel that uh, social, socioeconomics has a, a big factor in uh, mental health? Absolutely. You can just see it in terms of, the, you know, people that are on a higher end of the spectrum at all. And I know we've all kind of been humbleized by this pandemic, but I mean, at the end of the day, you just look at the Canada emergency response spend of the, the CERB that went out from the federal government there at the beginning of the pandemic and said that people shouldn't be living on less than $2,000 a month for their housing, their, their transportation, their food, their utilities, you know, their, their basic necessities of life versus all the various disabilities and social assistance, welfare, 
programs or even some of the CPP or the OAS for, for seniors. I mean, I was very pleased just, uh, at yesterday, last week, uh, that the government has voted on the Canada Disability Benefit uh, that could raise, I think, over 2 million Canadians out of poverty. Because I also uh, sit on a national board dealing with uh, poverty in this country. And you just see the correlation sort of thing. Um, and and you, you see it in terms of, of the issue of not just the health care, but also the public safety and the justice issues, because there's so many people that are going down that line because they don't have access to uh, basic amenities of housing. You know, food insecurity is a big crisis now in this this country of number of people that are going to food banks sort of thing. And like, again, if you don't have your basic necessities of life, it's definitely going to affect your physical and your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do see it in the the judicial system as well. It's, uh, um, I, I don't know what exactly the numbers are, but it's, I'm, I think it's around 90% or something like that, that the people that are in prison right now, it's, it's all somewhat drug related or addiction related, whether they were there for robbery to support their addiction or sex work for addiction or trafficking and all this stuff. And, it, and I mean, all that addiction stuff that uh, to me, that's a mental illness. That's a mental health Concern. So, so yeah, and and I mean, of course, the people in prison quite often are socio. Oh my God, socioeconomic. They're poor, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> they're deprived. They're, yeah, they're, they're they're at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, I've spoken to one of the the deputy uh, uh, police chiefs in the province here, as well as one of the deputies with the RCMP, and the same thing. Like they're saying that mental health is not a justice issue; it's a healthcare issue. And I mean, you know, um, I, I don't know where people stand on the issue about the legalization of certain drugs, but I mean, BC has taken their first step of trying to, you know, curve that whole uh, harm reduction model, which, you know, a lot of people, I mean, you go right back to the, the legalization of cannabis and we all stand on, on different level, levels, of, you know, uh, standing on that. But at the end of the day, these are health issues. These are not, you know, you're not out you know, committing violent robbery. Well, you are because it's, it's going back to social, but I mean, like, you know, or rapes or murders. I mean, really serious crimes sort of thing. I mean, these are health issues and they need to be health, dealt in the healthcare system, not in the judicial and, and the justice. Again, as a public safety, because of all the break-ins that have happened across this country, people are feeling very uh, unsafe, uh, knowing that they don't know if they could be uh, burglarized by somebody coming in looking for the next uh, whatever for the next hit sort of thing, which is, is pretty uh, sad commentary on the, the state of society. And and it's also, I've always said, the government's federal, provincial, municipal, it really shows how if you're, um, how you treat the most vulnerable. If, you, if you're, you're, you're putting no, no priority, but you're giving, you know, Galen Weston and all your billionaire friends, you know, tax breaks to buy freezers for Loblaws, at the same time, people don't have enough to put in their stomachs. You know, I think there needs to be a, a change there at all because it's, it's clear it doesn't need to be a priority, which it definitely needs to be. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's sad when uh, I don't remember the stats anymore. When I was doing ad, more advocating, I used to know the stats, but they're probably old now anyway. But um, just how investing when governments invest into mental health, just how much that's actually like cost savings for them. Let's like you're saving money by by investing into the, into that but um like like harm reduction and, and things that are maybe some people with ideologies are against even you know and it, it always baffles my mind it's like you're the government you, you know budgets and things are you know top of your priority but yet you you won't invest in things that are going to save you money because of your ideology and it's so frustrating um yeah. 
Absolutely, Todd, because I mean, like in an interview I had there a couple of weeks ago for the Bell Let's Talk, and that's another thing we can we can chew in on. But it's 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 the vantage point, as I said, look, you know, they're all about investing in oil and gas or or uh, new energy or, or this green. And at the end of the day, look, wherever your stand is on on climate change, it's always going to be around. It's going to be long after we're gone, or our, our ancestors will be here at all and still be moving through at all. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need to put your money in there. So if you can give 20 million or 20 billion to, you know, big oil companies like ExxonMobil and they're just trying to pick on that or Loblaws or any of these big multinational entities at all, well, where is the priority to helping? And I always keep saying you need people that have had lived experience, direct or indirect, that have been touched in government because that's the only time a lot of these projects like the mobile crisis teams have ever had that got green lighted here. Somebody that was in the senior cabin position had a connection uh, to a family or friend that was dealing with it. And that's the only reason. So like you need people in there that know what's going on. Not people who've had silver spoon in their mouth, have never worried about struggle, have never worried about, you know, relationship breakdown, never worried about losing their job, putting food on the table, raising their kids, taking care of their elderly parents sort of thing at all. You know, you need to take the uh, the elitism out of uh, elections and, and politics and politicians. Yeah, well, yeah. good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, what do you feel about MAID, the, um, the um, medically assistance medical assistance in death when it comes to um, mental illness and mental health in Canada. So, well, actually, for people that don't know, that's something that was passed in Canada, and now they've kind of backtracked a bit. They're stepping back and saying, oh, maybe we should look at this for another year before we pass this law. Um, I'm just curious what your your thoughts are on it. Yeah, it's quite timely there. I think last week, uh, David Lamenti, the, the Justice Minister, came out and said they're doing a review for at least a year. And uh, and I was looking there on Sunday, uh, um, Ian Hannah Menting with CBC, actually, that was the topic they had on for cross-country checkup. And I mean, it's it's a very divided issue, but from my vantage point, and even like professionals, because they had psychologists, psychiatrists making uh, on either end, I think we need to support life over death, unless it's really deemed it's terminal. I mean, you know, like even people with terminal cancers or heart issues still have the ability to live sort of thing. So I think it's a slippery slope because people say, well, if you're not housed or you're homeless, does that qualify you for a med, for a medical assistant in death? You know, like, or, or do you don't have access to uh, food security? I mean, like it's, it's really coming down to, I think it, it should be based on each individual circumstance, but I think we need more social supports to create life because you know, I'm a Christian by faith at all. I know there's a God, there's a Jesus Christ, but wherever anybody else, you know, stands on that and their faith journey at all, I support. But we're here to live for a reason. We're not here to die. So, like, my perspective is, you know, we need support. So, uh, but again, if, if people feel that they can't, well, you know, it's their personal choice sort of thing. But my advantage is that uh, we need to uh, look at other, other means to keep people alive if possible at all, because... Uh, you know, it'd be sad that, uh, you know, somebody could lose their life because of, of mental illness and uh, legislation that the government is pushing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I spoke, oh, I don't know, a few episodes back with a doctor from Toronto. And he, his big worry is that it's going to be the most, again, most vulnerable people, the the people uh, that are poor and stuff that, that are going to, is basically going to be attack on them because they don't have access to uh, mental health services and one of the conditions was you tried everything that you possibly can to get better and if you can't then you, you you're um 
you're accepted for for maid but poor people people in uh you know isolated locations and stuff have worse services so uh yeah he, he, his point was that it's a it's basically attack on poor people and absolutely I, yeah i don't fully disagree um the other thing he was saying is when some people got the green light for maid they actually started to improve so the fact that <laughs> it's supposed to be terminal and that you're not going to get better and then the fact that you actually get better that proves to me right there that you're not terminal obviously <laughs> if you're able to get better so uh, and that, that kind of goes to a point of one of the callers they had on who had a very severe mental illness or either was bipolar or schizophrenia uh, 15 years ago and they were saying how they had the ability to they were, they were fearful if this happened they were like felt like they were walking in cement boots sort of thing like they had no quality in life and eventually getting the right help the right treatment the right support they're living their best life you know they're being supported by their family they get a chance to enjoy their, their grandchildren and other aspects of you know the social and that's the, the perspective of it all it's this shouldn't be an attack on, on poor and poverty of you know you got encampments like again going back to the whole housing crisis we have in this country too it's all interlocked again so um you know like and she said well if she could probably be dead today if she said if, if that the legislation was gone through 15 years but she now has a quality of life and i agree with 100 percent we need to support people regardless of where they sit on the economic st structure of this this society because i always keep saying i don't care if you're a billionaire you only get 10 cents to your name you're worth something and you can contribute to society mm -hmm. and not saying that you know wealthy people don't have mental health issues they just have better access to services and they're right. able to afford uh, you know better services or you know cut through waiting lines and stuff um oh i was gonna say um i was just diagnosed with adhd and uh just that alone too has been it's just turned my life around it's it's completely life-changing not that i was uh, you know, in the past I have been on, you know, suicidal and stuff, but recently not that I was suicidal, but, but it took 45 years to get the proper diagnosis and the proper medication, the proper coaching and therapy to actually improve my life. So it's not, so yeah, I don't, I mean, for me, it's, people are going to do it anyway, if they're going to take their lives. No, I agree with you 100%. I mean, like, I've never had any, you know, suicidal thoughts, but I mean, like, people, like you say, will take their own lives regardless of what the government is saying at all. And I mean, it almost goes back to the perspective, like, when the Morgan Taller, the issue around the, uh, the, you know, the births, the, the pregnancies that were being, you know, like, it's a perspective government shouldn't be involved. I mean, that should be between, you know, an individual, their faith, their social supports at the end of the day. And like, I mean, even at the end of the day, when I was at some of my, worst in life at all I always had the ability in some way to just keep pushing through even though there were some dark days in my life sort of I think we've all been there at some point at all and it's the perspective is to reach out for support and to talk to somebody I mean if it's a counselor if it's somebody in the faith community it's somebody a teacher a parent a cousin a neighbor because we're all struggling on some levels to talk and um, you know your problems are probably no worse than anybody else's at the end of the day you just need support and i think that's where the lacking problem is the money you know in terms of, of the premiers that meet with the prime minister over the next couple of days we need to put money into helping people live good quality lives at all you know like the money is there i mean like we spend it's not a spending problem is where is the money going is it going to the services or is it getting tied up in administration and that's where I fear it is. It's, it's tied up in the administration, the infrastructure versus, I mean, a lot of the issues in mental health could be solved 
you know, with less than a billion dollars, it can be done. It just, you need the people, you need the support and it needs to be a priority sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, t I totally agree what you said on uh, that issue around uh, medical systems and dying at all. We need to, to live and uh, live best lives because we're here for a purpose. You know, we're not here to end our lives. That's just my thinking. Like. Hey folks, we're just going to take a quick break here so I could talk about a friend of mine's podcast. His name is John Cerrone and it's the Feel Free podcast. And Feel Free is a general wellness podcast run by John Cerrone. He's a recovering addict with a mission to help people better understand their habits so they can achieve their true potential in order to chase their dreams. With the help of some charismatic guests, the topics and conversations covered range from addiction, diet, exercise, burnout, to mental health, and many more. So please, Feel free to follow my friend John's podcast. Feel free. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's so unfair that that it's up to us to, to have to be our own self advocates. Whereas, like you said, if if with someone with cancer or something, there there's people in healthcare that are going to try to find the best health services for you physically. But when it comes to mental health, it's it's you have to basically advocate for yourself. And if you don't, then, you know, we have made for you. It's like, what? No, that's not, that's not a good option. <laughs> like, right. How about you, you just have better services. We can change the stigma so that, yeah, we can all live and, you know, um, yeah, we, yeah. The fact that that that's an option is just baffling to me. But I, I agree, I agree with you hundred percent, Todd, because like you, you just speak in that whole self-advocacy and for stuff that I've needed to avail over the years at all. You know, I, I got well-connected bureaucrats and senior politicians in, in this province in this country, but I know the right people to talk to. I've, I've had relationships built with these people prior to government and in government. But the way it's set up for so many people, it's 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 an 800 number or it's it's a no-name email, but a government thing. And most of the time, they never so it's like. And then even for people that have supported through the last number of years, you know, being in a full capacity to help people at all. People says like you don't give up, Glenn, because I said this is the right. This is your right. You got the right to live. You got the right for these supports. And the government is there, supposed to be there to support people and help people when they are struggling. I mean, that's the mandate of government. I mean, they're into a lot of things that they don't, don't need to be into. But the main thing is they're there to provide services, mental health or otherwise, to help people, uh, you know, live. Not uh, again. It goes back to the poverty piece. How you know so many people are living in legislative uh, poverty rates. And overall, that's uh, affecting people's mental health, too. So hopefully, um, you know, the work of, of universal or guaranteed basic income, as well as a, a livable uh, guaranteed income, not a minimum wage, but a, but a livable wage comes to fruition soon because it's being pushed in the United States. I think in California now, they're pushing, I think, $15 an hour and New York and a few other states. So, like, you know, there's parts of free market that can create this at all. So it's, it's, it goes back to being a priority, Todd, if, if it is a priority, mm -hmm. if it isn't. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And of course it's a priority if, if you, if you have the lived experience, like you said, and then it becomes personal. So then you, you have your own agenda that you're trying to push. And if you don't have that agenda, then I guess we're all shit out of luck. <laughs> um, I, I, has anyone ever tried to sue the government as for like a human rights issue? Um, you know, you're not giving enough like to me that made is almost a human rights issue. And I, I know I'm, I'm probably pushing some people's buttons cause they're for it, but it, you know, that's not a human right. Isn't, 
here's here's the best we can do. We can help you die. <laughs> it should be <laughs> we should help you live, right? Yeah. And and to not provide those services is that not a human rights thing? Could 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 someone sue? I, I, I would I would think it's one hundred percent. I don't know if there's any been any cases uh, provincially or federally, but I think it it could be a very legitimate case. I mean, I use the prime example here. Uh, there was a situation in this province where there was an elderly lady uh, recently evicted uh, from a city-owned property, and they're saying she was disabled, um, well up in her eighties. Um, because she couldn't get access to the smoking area and they think that's the reason she was given no. And it's like the perspective is like, again, you know, somebody that's so vulnerable, no supports and, you know, their MHA and, and other community organization. And it's just the same thing at all. It's like, you know, people should be able to get up each day and live some good quality of life. You know, it's the same thing with the cost of living, how this is affecting people's mental health, how, you know, all our utility bills are constantly going up. But I mean, you know, is the bells of the world, the Rogers of the world, you know, the hydros of the world, are they, you know, you know, you know, prime example, helping somebody navigate. And I went right up to the CEO of one of the telcos at all. And it's like, I had the relationship because again, I don't say no, I don't take no for an answer. But again, it's sad that you've got to push the right up to the top to make any decisions at all. Like it should be, you know, look, if we had universal income and a lot of people think that creates people laziness and it doesn't because in some of the Scandinavian countries and I think in Australia and New Zealand where they've got it, people have gone back to work. People have got better employment. Um, they've gone back to school for better upgrading sort of thing. So like, again, people need a floor under them. And if they don't have a floor on them, they're going to fall and they're going to fall hard. And either they're going to fall to, you know, not having basic housing or basic food or their mental health's going to crap out or they're going to do something criminalized, which is going to tie them up you know, with a criminal record, which they're not going to be able to function in society sort of thing. So it's like each piece is interlocked sort of thing. So the better to support people before they become at crisis, because that seems to be, it, it's, it's, it's this famous thing our opposition have said here, uh, leader, and I've said against this government, they're all reactive and sit on the federal level. They're not proactive. If we were proactive, we wouldn't have half the problems going on in this, this society. Mm-hmm. I often wonder if sometimes they do it on purpose so that they have someone to blame and keep that us versus them and that fear. And, you know, they keep me in office because, oh, criminals and drug addicts. And, and so they purposely don't do that because, you know, who wants to come by yeah, when when you can keep fear and keep everybody us versus them and, and uh, kind of ignorant, really. I mean, you could just go back to last year when the issue of the um – protest in Ottawa and in and the borders on the, on the vaccine mandates, the same thing. I mean, the vast majority of people were reasonable, logical Canadians that didn't want it sort of thing. I mean, you're always going to have a few wild nuts in any society at all. I mean, again, but you get them to, and then, you know, a government and the prime minister saying, well, all these people that are not taking, what is it, 10 million Canadians didn't take any vaccine while well, they're all, you know, they shouldn't be living in Canada. It's like, well, who makes that decision, prime minister? I mean, are you a doctor? Do you hold an immunology degree, you know, in, in, in public health at all? So it's like, it's again, I think we got to get out of the politics of politics. We got to go back of doing the business for the people because that's what you're elected for. You know, you're getting our taxes to be elected officials. So it's time to uh, do the bidding of the people because that's what, you know, you promised everything, the stars, the moon, the sun, not just to your friends that got the money, but to the ordinary citizen that are out there struggling every day to uh, keep a roof over their head or keep a job or, be involved in the community or whatever sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, but, uh, hopefully, uh, 
smarter people come around or more logical people come around and start to make change in the system because we need this now forever at all. I mean, if this pandemic hasn't laid beer of all the yields of society, you know, this, this, this could be a game changer for better and not for worse. And that's all we yeah. can hope. It's mind boggling to me how, how mental health and mental illness can be a political issue. It's like, it's not a political issue. It's a, it's a, it's a human right issue and that's it. It's just, it, it drives me batty that people can twist it that way. Um, you were talking about Bell. Uh, so people around the world that don't know that are listening, Bell in Canada, it's a big communications company, uh, TV and internet and all that stuff. And every year we have Bell Let's Talk Day and it's all, let's get everybody in Canada to talk about mental illness and mental health and, and all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's almost a national holiday at this point. It's like every, you know, people wind up for it and stuff. Um, your thoughts. <laughs> well, and, and I, I kind of, I think I agree with what you're saying, Todd, because the, I think when they first rolled it out more than a decade ago now at all, and as soon, I think supposed to be coming to an end and I've, I've been involved with senior leadership there in terms of communication, in terms of, you know, you know, bringing my advocacy to, to the table. And look, at the end of the day, I got to give credit first. It's the first major Canadian corporation to even tackle it. So, you know, but at the end of the day, as I've said in many other interviews too, it's a free marketing tool for the corporation. And I mean, it was great this year that they gave 10 million, uh, you know, it's not how many hashtags or tweets or Facebooks or likes or calls or whatever, you know, you get it. But I mean, 10 million to a multi-billion dollar corporation like Bill is, is package change. I mean, they could be doing 50 million or a hundred million really. I mean, if you know, and maybe it, it needs to, and I've said to spur other Canadian and, and provincial uh, companies to get out and start doing something about it because at the end of the day, the Metal Commission of Canada, Louise Bradbury, also somebody from Newfoundland, a good friend of mine, former CEO, uh, said that like a half a million Canadians, and the commission keeps banging this out, half a million Canadians don't go to work each day, costing the Canadian economy nearly 60 billion or more, and it's a trillion on, on the global stage. So, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's time to put your money where your mouth is at all, and uh, you know, make it that it just shouldn't be the Bell Let's Talk Day too, Todd. I mean, it's the Mental Illness Awareness Week or the Mental Health Week or whatever, Mental Health Month or whatever sort of thing, you know, or eating disorders and, you know, PTSD days. And, like, mental health should be 24-7 regardless sort of thing. So, you know, I got to give credit first, but at the end of the day, you know, like somebody said to me, they had a great idea, but where was the follow-through? Like, you I mean, okay, they're giving some money to these small community-based organizations, but, you know, $5,000 grants and $10,000 grants, where does that go, really, at the end of the day? I mean, it, you know, like somebody said to me a while ago, and when I was thinking about it, I think that's the way it should have been. It should have been, you know, we got the awareness. Now we're going to do better. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. there's a disconnect between the awareness and the uh, and, and the service and the support we need. Yeah, I guess that's the problem of, you know, being in a capitalist country. and Because you see it in, even on, like, pride month and stuff it's like mcdonald's now is a rainbow m and stuff you know it's like, this is all just pr and every company is just latching onto it and uh but again yeah i, I also agree that uh kudos for them for 
for, for, for starting something like this, but also at this point, it's like, this is just a big ad campaign for them. And the other part too, Todd, is like, I think RBC has done a lot for youths and children and mental health. So there has been some other Canadian corporations kind of, you know, stepping up. And the other thing you just made about the pride thing, something that I've had a bit of a challenge or a bit of, I don't know, a disagreement with a lot of these organizations, either the Medical Commission of Canada or the Canadian Mental Health Association, is that like they start now breaking it down of like these genders or race or ethnicity. And I think that's the vibe. Look, I, I know people are coming out of the Ukraine and some of these war-torn countries. They, they've never, we've never experienced what they've gone through. But like to break it down, I think you're only causing chaos among communities. And when governments see these organizations not functioning sort of thing, like where your race is, your faith, your gender shouldn't be based on your, your mental health concern. Because like you say, if you had a heart issue, would they say, you know, male or female or LBGQ? Do you, you know, you line up this line or the same thing you're from Ukraine or you're from, you know, China or from America or from Canada sort of thing. So like, I think that's something now that's got everything kind of wishy-washy at all. And again, it, it's causing more chaos than help. So like mental health, mental health, you know, so that that's something that I'm very strong on and I get a lot of pushback, but I have a lot of people saying, well, you're a white Caucasian male. Yes. But my my mental health's no different than somebody that maybe LBGQ coming from another foreign country would have thing at all, you know, sort of thing. It's all mental health. Like your heart is no different if you come from a certain whatever sort of thing. So uh, mm-hmm. it's something that uh, I'm trying to make change and hopefully will. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah. I never I never thought about it that way. Yeah. But you're right. It's it, mental health. It's just me- and I have said before, like you can't compare trauma. You can't compare pain. You can't compare. Um, these things, it's, it's, you know, it's mental health is mental health. So yeah, whether, you know, you, you try to compartmentalize everybody in society and, and give them labels and stuff, which I get, well, I understand we like our tribes and stuff, but, but ultimately mental health affects everyone and it doesn't matter what, what tribe you're part of. So, uh, yeah, yeah I have to agree with you there. Um, and I think, I think it's the old adage, we can be diverse, but unified, but it seems like we're, mm-hmm diverse but not unified and that's what seems to be going on now at all so i mean we're all supposed to heal in community we need to heal together understanding we have different perspectives of life circumstances sort of thing at all and that seems to be the agenda we need to go on not the agenda that's currently being played out by governments and society yeah that whole us versus them and we have it worse and they're more entitled and yeah let's just all let's let's just help everybody Absolutely. And, and it's the same thing, certain media outlets at all. It uh, seems like if you're not of a digitist or Indian status or are you uh, somebody that's immigrant or LBGQ, it's like we can't get everybody else on, but we got to kind of keep repeat that cycle sort of thing. And I think people are actually getting tired of that at all because it's affecting people's mental health. It's like, you know, we all got mental health. Let's just work together sort of thing at all and get everybody's viewpoint to the table and not saying one is any better than the other. Because that's why everybody says, "How do you work so well with people?" It's like we, we're all we're all one people, regardless of who we are, what we believe, and how we live. And I think we need to get back to that that normality of of, of just living and, and supporting each other. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's society's becoming more polarized and extreme, and and isolating the the groups are isolating themselves more and more from each other. And when in fact we have this huge common ground and and I think mental illness and mental health is a huge part of that because we all have brains. We all have mental health. So, yeah, I think that's a fair statement. 
I, I might get some pushback too now. I don't know, but <laughs> well, it, 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 it creates visibility too, Todd, at all, because it gets people to thinking really at the end of the day at all. You know what I mean? Um, and and that's what needs to be be talked about at all because like a lot of people who are probably a bit more conservative versus on the left or, or more liberal thinks that is t is too much of a Marxist social society. And I'm saying like th there's equal parts to it all. Look, I'm very much supporting the most vulnerable. And I'm also very much a capitalist. So you can do both. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. But it just seems now it's like, like if you're a capitalist, you don't believe in social supports. Or if you believe in social supports, you don't believe in capitalism at all. And it's like you can do all. We, you know, we can all work together at all. And that's what needs to really come together at all. Because there's aspects of business that figure out some of these things. The government can't figure it out too sort of thing. So, I mean, we all got to get in, in the boat and kind of sing kumbaya and roll down the river together sort of thing. Because the more that we divide people, I think it's only going to create more division and more strife and ultimately it's going to affect society. But more importantly, in terms of what we're dealing with here today, mental health mm. and mental illness and addiction. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, in a way, my podcast, you know, reflects that in a way I, I talk to, I've talked to trans people, I've talked to indigenous people, I've talked to young people, I've talked to old people, I've talked to women, I've talked to men, I've talked, and we all have this common commonality and Instead of, you know, looking in a microscope to finding our differences, let's, let's, let's just take a step back and look at what we have in common and, and, and deal with that and celebrate that even. And like I've said before there, Todd, is that if we all, in terms of this conversation around mental health, um, are united the various different stakeholders dealing with different population groups, then the government will work. But when they're seeing they're all fighting against for the same dollar sort of thing, well, then the government said, we're not going to, you know, because this one's fighting against this one. So it's like, yeah, we really need to, you know, like I say, like a, a friend of mine who used to be head of one of the mental health associations in this province said that, you know, even this province, you need like a center of excellence. So maybe somebody dealing with youth mental health or women's mental health or LBGQ mental health or immigrant mental health or men's mental health, you know, or suicide, like, and, and you have a major building and then each has their own specialty. I mean, it's no different than like different aspects of medicine and, and other disciplines or education. You know, everybody has different specialty. And I think that's where we need to go with all this. Like you get a big umbrella organization and then you get all these sub ones but we're all running for the, the same goalpost to have a better society because God help of, of young people coming up today and, and how, you know, just not, they're just challenged to, to survive and they'll have kids and they may not have the coping mechanism. So like, I'm hopeful. I'm a very optimistic person, Todd, but I'm also fearful of, you know, if we don't get kids on the right track of an education, where do they go in society? Do they contribute or do they become a drain on treasury and, and, and social programs of this country too? And not just locals, but like even internationals, we need, we need to work together. Do you have kids? I have no kids. Not yet. Well, what do you point. care then? You'll be uh, dead. I, <laughs> I got, I got nieces and nephews at all. And I got a lot of oh, friends okay. with children sort of thing at all. So I'm around kids more times than if I had my own sort of thing, but in due course, <laughs> myself and my partner, hopefully we'll, have kids one of these days sort of thing. So I look forward to that and all, all the good, bad and indifferent that comes with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. I'll let you care about the future then. Uh, <laughs> but it's true what you were talking about, like the, the men's, the men's mental health and the LGBTQ mental health. And like, you don't have an LGBTQ cardiac service. You don't have a, a men's cardiac service. You don't have indigenous cardiac service. It's all just... The cardiac, I, yeah, I've thought that before myself too, like all these, cause it's true. There's so many mental health, um, 
like fundraisers and, and charities and stuff like if, if we all just got together and but that's I guess that's humans for you. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, 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 I'm a bit of a, like a business and a history buff too. And I read, I read uh, the biography of JP Morgan, the American financier. And back in, I think 1913, when it was the first uh, collapse of the stock market or, or the American market, uh, he locked, uh, I think 20 or 30 of the top uh, executives in his boardroom and he wouldn't let them out until they come. To, and I think that's what needs to happen again is that. A kidnapping. <laughs> kidnapping. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that now. All I'm just pop them all into a certain place and they all have to come to some fruition that, you know, we have more in common than differences at all versus the, the more that we divide. And then if they're looking for support from donors and charity and the public, more importantly at all, well, they're saying, well, why should we give to this cause versus that cause versus another cause sort of thing. But, oh, it's all mental health. Oh, I have somebody or I have my first, I have my own lived experience with mental health at all. And I think that would work better for you know, because all these charities, if it's mental health or other sectors are, are challenged because of the state of the the global economy, potential recession, potential job loss sort of thing. So, uh, you know, this is, I speak from so many angles on a mental health, you know, the economic piece too sort of thing. So that's something else to uh, take uh, consideration for your, your listeners, your viewers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're almost out of time. Is there anything that you wanted to make sure you was said that I didn't ask? Uh, just to kind of say that, uh, you know, please keep this in the forefront. Um, as like I've said before, I may take my advocacy into the political apparatus sort of thing. So I may be one of those bad politicians. You'll, you'll criticize me and ha- may or may not have me back on your podcast. Do, do course, even if I'm doing good things and take care of each other at all and reach out for support because we're all struggling on some level at all. You know, if it's mental health, if it's physical, if it's economical, you know, society, relationships, jobs, wherever, you know, in society and and have a lot of respect and dignity for your fellow human being, because I always keep saying this pay it forward or like I always said at one of my first talks to mental health, based on your comfortability, either, you know, give somebody a high five, a handshake, a hug. And uh, because you don't know how something like that can make somebody's day because somebody might have woken up and had some very devastating news of something happening in their life or some tragedy that has occurred or something that is, and, and that can make the world a difference. And I think we need to take more care of each other collectively as, as a species, but also each other. And, and there's no shame of reaching out at all because at the end of the, even the professionals, as I've talked to many of them, they have their own mental health and they have to get their own support because they're taking in all the crap that, and all the stuff that we're dosing out to them at all. And if they don't take care of themselves, they're not going to be there to support us as well sort of thing. So, uh, it's, um, it's a great opportunity to talk with you, Todd, and uh, hopefully this has been helpful to you and your listeners. Just promise me when you become prime minister that you'll, you'll come on my podcast. Absolutely. You got a guarantee on that one. Thank you so much, Glenn. It's so appreciated that you're doing this fine, fine work and you never know. Maybe uh, next time we talk, you'll be the Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. If you want to follow Glenn on his social medias and stuff, it'll be in the show notes there. And reach out to him. And if you want to talk to him or have any questions or you need a speaker for an event or something, you can just feel free to do that. Hey, why don't you go to Instagram and check out Forever Raging Apparel. They sell awesome clothes. And a portion of every sale goes to Talk Suicide Canada. So you're supporting a good cause. You're getting some great clothes. And you're just being a good person. 
That's Forever Raging Apparel on Instagram. Also, if you like mental health podcasts, check out my buddy Jason. He's got the Rainy Days podcast. It's another mental health podcast. He's been on the show, episode something or other, and I was on his at one point too. Uh, he, he's got some new episodes dropping pretty soon, so you can go check him out. He's from the UK, uh, so he's got a fancy accent as well. Uh, that's the Rainy Days podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram so that you can see some of the Instagram lives that I'm doing with people. Bunny Hugs Podcast. I'm also on TikTok at Bunny Hugs Podcast. And of course, Facebook, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I'm always posting memes and videos and articles and things like that. So if you're not into the lives, there's other stuff too. So go, please follow me on there. And please, please rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever app you're using to, to listen uh, it's, it means so, so much. If, if you don't know how to support mental health services, simply just rate and review this podcast. If you rate and review the podcast, it goes higher up in the charts so that more people can see it, more people can relate. We can normalize all these things and all my wonderful guests can help more people. So that would be, that'd be really swell of you. Well, thank you for listening to another episode and I will see you next week. In the meantime, please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye.